welcome to the show. It is me, it is me, your girl, Labora Lee, aka Cat Lee, and we have now turned into Ambitiously the Podcast. <coughs> yes, you have. Um, welcome, welcome, my ambitious ones, to another episode of Hood History. Hood History, if you don't know, is um, a segment of Ambitiously the Podcast where we break down certain things in history. Um, There's no chronological order. We just pick things in history that we want to talk about and we talk about it. And we don't go by the book. We never will. Sorry. Um, This episode of Hood History is called The Monumental City. Now, I told you before we were going to start with Baltimore and we'll branch out into other things. But I feel like my city has a very, um, one, my city is very historical. And two, the stories are something else, honey. So we are going to dive into this episode of Hood History with a city that most don't know about. It's called the Monumental City. We're going to talk about it. And the reason why it, it resonates with me specifically is that it, speaks on the African-American culture here in Baltimore, and it speaks on slavery at the time. Um, So I'm going to take you back, and we're going to talk about it. Let's get into it, the Monumental City. Okay, so the Monumental City. Not many know about the Monumental City. Most people who are from Baltimore, they know about Monument Street, but they don't know about the Monumental City, so we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to try to figure out why it was so monumental. But whatever. So, the Monumental City, as it is known in the 1800s, specifically 1820s, um, was the headwaters, not headquarters, headwaters of American human trafficking. The The reason why we say it's headwaters is because Baltimore is a port city. Mm-hmm. Okay, like a lot of port import goes on in this city, right? So, um, um, the traffic structural violence turned African American sons and daughters and wives and fathers into human products. Like we were on a fucking excuse my language, but like we were on in the supermarket on the shelf. That's what we were at the time. Um. One of the seven, one in seven enslaved African Americans were forced across state lines in the following decade. Yeah, it happened. It happened. It happened to us. In Baltimore, black people were jailed, sold, shipped in merchant vessels. Most were stolen from families by slave traders. Um, but we're going to speak about this one particular dude because I think it's very it's very important that we start with him. His name is Austin Woolfolk or Woolfolk, however you say it. Um, he was a mastermind of the market at the time. Mm-hmm. Just 19, he, when he arrived in Baltimore in 1815, the tall athletic slave trader operated out of the city's tavern. Handing banknotes to slaveholders, thirsty, I'm thirsty for liquid assets. Um, Wolfolk or folk, <laughs> depending on how you want to say it, came up in Tennessee, served in the state's militia, um, beginning um, during the War of 1812. I'm going to get to that War of 1812 because I got a lot to say about that, and participated in the Battle of New, or- New Orleans. 
Um, there he saw the fortunes to be made on the backs of African American or African descendants, um, descendant countrymen. The um, foreign slave trade was was closed in 1808. Um, yet planters demanded um, young bound workers for their um, um, cane breakers and cotton fields. So I told y'all in the last episode, sugar cane was big here. It's huge here. Um, we're the hometown of Domino Sugar. Not many people know that. You buy Domino Sugar all the time when you go to the market. Well, <laughs> welcome to Baltimore. Um, as the, dem- the demand rolls in the Deep South, for um, bond bonds persons um, bond bond away from eastern seaboard homes slave prices in New Orleans reached roughly twice what they were in Maryland yet there wasn't yet an, um, an exchange they weren't ready for that kind of life so Wolf Wolfolk, however you say it, was an entrepreneur with a gift for imagining a market before it existed and then ushering in it, making it so that it it was. Um, his main innovation was an advertising, rapidly growing daily advertising and rapidly growing daily newspapers, um, like. For example, we're gonna we're gonna get into it. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get into it. Um, cash for car or gold today. Cash for I hate this word, but cash for Negroes was his tagline. Um, he soon became a brand, which is crazy that somebody could become a brand off of our backs, but it happened. It totally happened. And um, this is why we are the country we are today. This is what happened. So let's get back into the story because I told you I totally had a story to tell. So early he early on he used Baltimore City Jail, which is gone now. They just demolished it um, because of recent situations that happened um, to warehouse captives captives. Um, until shacking them together and force um, force marching them to Georgia. So Baltimore City Jail was where he held them, and then he shackled them all together and he made them walk to Georgia. Um, But as soon as cotton became the nation's biggest export, uh, you know, one of the the biggest hot commodities of the time in the the 1820s, he built his own jail and booked space aboard merchant ships he built a reputation in new orleans um site of the deep south's largest slave market it's crazy right see how and you never know well i'll tell you the story at the end of this but um so his brothers he and his brothers and other relatives arrived in maryland to cash in on the profits um him and allied traders set up purchasing agencies in Annapolis, Easton, and Washington, D.C. by 1821. Um, Wolfolk's Baltimore headquarters included 
a whitewashed house, a private jail located on, on West Pratt Street. I showed y'all that in the last episode, but on West Pratt Street at the intersection of what is known today. And I showed you that on the map. Maybe I'll pull it back up. But what is known today is Martin Luther King Boulevard. So Pratt Street and Martin Luther King Boulevard, you can go pull up a map and you'll see where it was. Um, that's where he houses slaves. Um, this is where he jailed them. Um, and um, any archaeological remains are buried underneath the Divider Highway because um, it is like it's a huge highway. It's like one. It's crazy. Um, it was a far, um, far, far flung enterprise. Uh, his, his uncle John Wolfolk set up a New Orleans and um, Natchez running a sale agency selling people acting like a bank and remitting the tens of thousands of dollars millions in today's money um that sustained a supply chain of captives so basically he was here his uncle was in new orleans and it was a whole enterprise uh the combination of newspaper advertising, financier, um, financiering, and um, shipping, as well as elaborate corporate form for today gave the family, it gave them something special. Um, competitive advantages that drove rivals out of the market. So yeah, they was like, um, maybe I'm trying to think like what's a pop, and okay let's say they were like the vanderbelts of their days i guess um so some protested cash for bloods green baltimore's niles weekly registered um register which is a newspaper um in 1921 and anti anti-slavery quakers well i'm gonna get to them too because we have a big amish and then we have a big Quaker history as well, but um, anti-slavery Quakers arrived in Fells Point to inspect ships in which um, his captives were co-signed. Such ships were a part um, of an architecture of oppression, which seamlessly combined traffic and human beings with the trade in commodities like flour, wine, and merchant goods see they didn't care about we didn't they well in their minds our feelings didn't matter we didn't even have feelings as far as they're concerned because we were slaves um so he brushed aside such protests quickly became a business insider shippers wanted his goods and officials smiled on a businessman they considered one um one of them yet his human wares did not go to the market quietly in 1826 um his captives and um including maryland native william bowser to the merchant so it was a lot of going on in the 1820s um merchant schooner decatur on the passage to new orleans Bowser and two other captives rose up through the captain and the crew members overboard and took over the ship. But their rebellion <laughs> was cut short when the captain of the whaler went on um, went armed soldiers with armed soldiers to overpower the Decatur's 
rebels. So, you know, we hear about Amistad all the time and what happened with them. And they weren't even slaves. They had were captured after they had abolished slavery, slavery you know, the slave trade. Um, it, slavery wasn't abolished, but the trade was. Bringing them on ships over here was. And um, we always hear that story, but we never hear about the other situations. So the Decatur is one that we will go more in depth in on this podcast um, a little later on. But Bowser was tried, convicted, and hung in New York City for murder. Um, Abolitionist editor Benjamin Lundy covered the proceedings for his Baltimore newspaper, The Genius Genius of Universal Emancipation, reporting that Bowser forgave Wolfert while walking to Ellis Island Gallows. Ooh, Ellis Island was, it has so much history there too. I think we should probably talk about that a little bit too, the, um, the Gallows, I mean, Ellis Island in itself. So the slave trader, um, as the slave trader cursed him. When Lundy ran into Wolfock near the Baltimore post office, because remember I told you Baltimore had the per- first post post office. The following winter, the slave trader attacked the abolitionist for smearing him. Wolfick was seven inches taller and um, as many years younger than the Quaker editor who put up no resistance to being stomped on the head. Oh my gosh. I told y'all this city, like y'all, they keep trying to make this city out like the 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 nail is the violence. This city has been violent. Listen to what I just said. He saw the dude at the post office. Keep still flaming hot about what had happened and um what he wrote in his newspaper about him. He attacked him and stomped that man in the head because he didn't like what he had to say. Been a violent city. Um, when Wolfook was tried for assault, however, Baltimore Judge Nicholas Bryce sympathized with the slave trader instead of the Quaker, um, contending that the trade itself was beneficial to the state as it removed a great many um, rogues and vagabonds who were a nuisance. Um, so yeah, man, it was crazy. Um, that's what Lundy had to say. Um, deserve his beating. So they said that, um, the gentleman, Lundy, I'm sorry. Well, that's what the judge had to say. Now they're saying that the gentleman, Lundy, deserved his beating. And, but for the strict letter of the law, the court would not find Wolfolk any anything they wouldn't find him um he paid a dollar plus court cost but if you think about it in the in the 1820s a dollar was a lot of money um it was it was a lot of money another young abolitionist arrived in baltimore to contest his trafficking in his early 20s um, William Lloyd Garrison, who called Wolfolk out, exposed his business as a moral equi- um, a moral equivalent of kip- kidnapping, which is true. Um, but his activism um, agitated authorities. In 1830, Maryland tried um, tried Garrison for um, liable 
or li- <laughs> um, liable of a shipmaster whose vessel carried nearly 90 captives to Louisiana. Again, the Judge Bryce pres- presided over the proceeding. This Bryce, this Judge Bryce was something else. Um, Garrison was convicted and sentenced to jail where he was radicalized. So they was like, you talk too much junk. We're not here for, we don't like what you had to say. You're going to jail and you're going to be a pariah. That's basically. Um, But then Wolfuck was transitioning from trader to executive moving to Louisiana where he owned a considerable real real estate, including a... um, I don't even know how to pronounce this, but I say I hope I say it well. Um, Abraville Parish Plantation House built atop of an Indian mound. Of course, too much like right. Of course, it was. Um, slaving was a young man's trade, but he continued in the business until his death in 1847. Um, leaving the, his fortune to his heirs. Today, the economic status value of the Woolfolk estate would be about two, um, $201 million by today's standards, anyway. Um, two black people in Baltimore and the surrounding courtside um, the name... Two black people in Baltimore and the surrounding courtside the name Austin Woolfolk conjures a nightmare of shackles and sails, bondage and fairway binds, um, fairway field, faraway fields, um, disappearing relatives, um, the dissolution of ties of the family and friendship as a child enslaved in Baltimore, Frederick Douglass recalled in the deep, still darkness of midnight, um, I have been often aroused by the dead, heavy footsteps and um, perpetuous, um, perpetuous cry- cries of chain gangs that pass our door driven to the um, driven to the docks of Wolfo. Um, there are other instances where he spoke on being young here in Baltimore and watching them being marched to Pratt Street. Um, so slavery was a big business, which enriched slaveholders and internalized the towering human cost onto African Americans. In eight, nine, 1830, the um, the value of the United States slave um, slaves were about five hundred and seventy seven million dollars in today's money. Um, the economic power value in 2014 dollars would have been nine 9.84 trillion dollars 50 percent of that was in 2014. so wilfer's firm helped orchestrate a huge transfer of um borrowed wealth from lower south to upper south as it funneled thousands of captives south by southwest to points of no return, leaving the um, legacy of white supremacy and black servitude that equated black bodies with um, disposable property. So, I say this. I said all of that. I just wanted you to get gain an understanding of Baltimore and, you know, 
the slave trade in Baltimore and where it got its start and where, you know, where all of the, the nonsense started at. But just imagine this. Imagine being forced to work all day long for no money at all. Um, your meals, they're provided to you, but like, what are they really giving you? Like, they're like giving you like scraps and little minute pieces of whatever they, they felt like giving you. Um, and it's barely enough to survive on. Barely enough. That's why I believe that the African immunity, um, African American community, when it comes to like, um, well, not these days, which is sad. Which I want, like this part of this podcast. I mean, part of this segment of this podcast is to show us where we we're losing our ties because you know, back in the day, communities would come together. They would have what we now know as maybe like a black party or like a. a, a a community gathering where everybody bought like a potluck, so to speak, where everybody bought something and we all came together. The reason why we did that is because we barely had anything to, to eat in slavery. So we kind of had to put it together and make a big feast for everybody to eat on so we could all survive. Um, but imagine your living quarters were not even modest. It's a shack. Um, if not, it was shabby. You lived in shit. You did. If you were lucky enough to live with your family, your time with them was severely, severely limited. It's like, it was severely, like you didn't know if you were going to be sold off or they were going to be sold off. If you had a baby, you didn't know if the baby was still going to, you know what I mean? Like you didn't know. You just didn't know. Um, you live with constant fear that at any moment your parents or your children could be sold to another planter. You would never see them again. And any defiance or refusal to um, comply, you would be, be met with being whipped. It was, they would beat you. Um, some kind of physical punishment. They would cut limbs off. They would do all kinds of things. Um, so there was no way out of the situation. Imagine there's no way to get out of the situation. There was that was the daily life of a slave in American colonies. It just it wasn't it wasn't pretty um, at all. So. I would like to dig a little bit deeper into the slave slavery life in the colonies because I feel like in order for us to understand that we need to like dive deep. So um um give me one second. I'll be right back and then after this commercial break we will dive into slave culture in the American colonies. I'll be right back. What a time to be alive. I repeat what a time to be alive did you know that you could get fresh ingredients along with beautiful recipes delivered to your door did you know that well you can get 21 free meals plus free shipping and three free gifts when you use the code hellofresh21 the link is in the description again use the code hellofresh21 to get 21 free meals plus free shipping plus free free gifts I'm telling you time to get healthy y'all I'm back so here's a common misconception and this tag on microphone and messed up my head but whatever here's a common misconception though a lot of people think that slavery 
was more um well it, it only either you think that it only existed in the south or they think that it was more prevalent in the south many people so here's the thing um that's not quite true um although far from prevalent throughout the south i'm far more i'm sorry although it's far more prevalent or more uh of a it was more of a thing in the south um slavery existed in the north as well uh Whereas the South slaves typically labored on large farms called plantations, um, harvesting like harvesting tobacco, rice, and cotton in the North, they were more likely to work in factories or in private homes. Like here in Baltimore specifically, um, there are many, many stories, and I will be diving into them later on throughout this podcast. And we're not only going to talk about slavery, people. We're going to talk about all kinds of history, but I... I'm starting with Baltimore, so I have to kind of do that. And because this this city has a large African-American population, I feel like it's very important to understand certain things. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of um, slaves who worked in homes versus they weren't working in fields, worked in factories, big hair, weren't working in fields, worked in um, different kinds of... Um, different type of situations, but it wasn't necessarily them working in fields. The North simply didn't have the agricultural system that the South did. And that's why um, a lot of the slaves weren't working in fields here up, up North because it wasn't a lot of farming done. And then like, if you think about the trading system within the North and the South, you know, a lot of the goods came up North from the South. So it was this whole system. Okay. Slavery um was common throughout philadelphia which wound up being one of those cities which is weird where um you had free and we'll get to that later um when many slaves worked where a lot of the slaves worked on the docks and not necessarily um in fields because again i told you the further north you go the less frequency you had of slave work slaves working in fields um here in baltimore a lot of slaves worked at what we now know as the inner harbor they were the docks they were the ports of baltimore and that's where a lot of the slave tra- um, slaves worked at at that time but in philadelphia um, philadelphia resident and founding father i'm going to talk about him because i got a lot to say about benjamin franklin but i um, founding father benjamin franklin owned slaves who tend um tended his home and worked in his print shop as he aged however he became an abolitionist um, and opp- opposed slavery. And in, ni- in 1770, he freed his slaves. So you'll find with history, as we we go through this little journey together and we learn more about history and what was and what was not, you'll find that there are many stories where there were people who owned slaves and very much um, started feeling guilty. They started feeling really guilty about it. And I was like, you know what, dude? I'm about to let them go because this ain't right. And I know it ain't right. A lot of, we have, especially with our founding fathers, well, except for um, Alexander Hamilton, he didn't own slaves. He was against slavery. Um, I think that might have played a part from him growing up in the Caribbean, um, in the Caribbean um, area. I think it was the Caribbean. Yeah. But 
that might have played a part as well of why he wasn't big on slavery. He didn't own slaves. Um, but then you have his counterparts like Thomas Jefferson, who did own slaves, but then wound up having slave babies. Um, and then you have other founding fathers like Was George Washington, who had slaves. And um, his slaves weren't freed until after his death. And I believe that's because um, his wife was afraid, Martha, was afraid that his their slaves, because she still owned them. I'm sorry, y'all. Because um, she still owned them. She maybe was afraid of a rebellion. And it was been said that she didn't like how they looked at her or whatever. So she was like, you know what? Get, get them out of here because I can't. So throughout our journey through history, there will be moments where slavery will come back up because that's a part of our history. Um, we're not going to spend all of our time on slavery, but I feel like in order to get a, a, a understanding of this city, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put the slavery story in there. You gotta add that to the equation because although there were a nice number of freed Af um, African descendants here or African people here. There was a nice number of slaves here as well. We just had a story all about the monumental city, which was based upon human trafficking. Um, last episode, I showed you a map that showed you where the actual slave auctions were taking place. Thank you, Lexington Market. Um, I wish I knew that as a kid because I probably wouldn't. I probably would. I probably would have got in trouble, but I probably would have totally pro protested going to this market because, like, I like growing up. That was a thing for us. We go to Lexington Market, get a fruit salad. You maybe get some chicken or some gizzards, or you go and you sit down at um, the seafood bar that was located in the market at the time and you have some seafood. Um, yeah, that's what happened. But had I had known that as a child, I probably, like I said, probably would have gotten in trouble because, you know, as children, they used to tell us you do what I said. I probably would have gotten in trouble, but I'm so militant. I probably would I don't want to eat in here. They sold slaves in here. There's a lot of places I would have said that to here in Baltimore now that I know. I didn't know that as a child, though. Um, but yeah, I showed you the map of where they held, and specifically the one place that we talked about today, which was on the corner of Pratt and Martin Luther King, today's Martin Luther King Boulevard. That was, and what is right there right now? I believe that the university, where the university, see, yeah, well, it is a University of Maryland property now. That area. Yeah. Yeah. That area. It's part of part of it anyway. I'm I'm gonna break down that area. I wanna know what sits right there right now. I do. I think it's part of the University of Maryland's um hospital. Is where it sits in that that's what's sitting over there now. I'm not sure. If not that, let's see, that's the Baltimore Street. A couple of streets down. Somewhere in that, in that region. I know that's a big, a lot of that property is owned by the university. If it's not houses right there, but I can't remember. But the point is, I would have to go downtown and tell you specifically. I might go down there and really do some work down there. But major, major in the city. So I feel like that's a part of the journey. We will be getting to um, civil rights as well, because that's a big part of the city's journey as well. Um a lot of people don't know like a lot of this the, the the beginning of the civil rights movement did not start with martin luther king and rosa parks 
a lot of it started here. So we're going to get into that as well. Um, thank you for watching. Thank you for watching Hood History. Um, I will be diving deeper into uh, a lot of other things. And like I said, slavery is not always the subject matter. But since we started with Baltimore, we will be talking about it. Um, and I told you I want to get to Benjamin Franklin. Because I feel like Benjamin Franklin was like the man whore of his time. So we're going to talk about that eventually too. Um, so make sure you tune in. Again, thank you for tuning into her history make sure you come back next saturday for our next installment and we will be talking about some things we will be talking about some things make sure you like share and subscribe this podcast ambitiously the podcast hosted by your girl laborley that's me um and we will be here to talk about some more later thank you for tuning into hood history bye